All right. <clears throat> Let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> Thank you. Hi. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as I was praying back there while uh, Megan was sharing in spoken word, I prayed again that you would help and cause those who are in bondage to sin, whether specific or just consumed by what it is, God, give a little bit of freedom from that and thoughts that they've always had to hear truth. And Father, we wouldn't become defensive. We wouldn't, we wouldn't become defensive over what we've always known but we'd be teachable, that we would listen to you and your word, and that we'd find the freedom and the liberty and the joy that comes in obedience to you and the commands that you've given, knowing and realizing and believing God caused us to truly believe, I pray. Please, God, help us to believe that your commandments and your rules, your statutes are for our joy, that we could thrive but Jesus, I pray that we would see it today, that as we come together, that Holy Spirit, you would show us, oh, the weight of sin. And so, God, I pray that you would give words that are bold and gracious, but that we would tackle this honestly. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. <clears throat> If I was to ask you, we sat down eye to eye, knee to knee, and I asked you, are you a good person? I think most of us would say, I'm a pretty good person. Because we have all these people that we kind of uh, gauge ourselves against, right? You say, well, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler. Right? Usually when I ask people, I say, well, if you could think of one of the most, you know, one of those people that's so giving and so loving, who would you say? And most people, when I've asked this question, they say, oh, Mother Teresa. And then other people say, who's one that you think has just had a horrible impact on society and the world almost every time it's Hitler? And so you sit there and go, why is this the gauge? It's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler. But what I'm hoping is, if, if, I really don't want you, if Hitler's here, I don't want you just rubbing up, rubbing up against his shoulders. Like, well, I'm not Hitler, but I'm close. Like, it shouldn't be that close. But we just say that this is the standard. Why do we think that this is good enough? See, it's not, this isn't the standard. The standard is Jesus. And he's perfect. And friends, we have to tackle this topic, and I know that it's not fun. I know this topic isn't fun, but it is necessary for us to truly appreciate and be blown away by the beauty and the message of the gospel. Without this topic, we just kind of wonder, well, why is all this? Like, why did all this have to happen? In our quick little explanation of the gospel, when we don't throw in their sin, we don't throw sin into the equation, all people hear is that Jesus died for them. They're like, well, why do you have to die for me? There's no understanding to it. It's like, well, he died for me. What's the point? Why did he do it? And so when we limit it down to just the gospel messages that God loves you and has a plan for life, and I believe that, but when it's limited and dumbed down to just that, guys, I don't think that's the message. I don't think that's the true full message of the gospel. And so for those, that, for those of you that love Jesus, hang in there. And for those that don't, hang in there. I'm just asking, be teachable, be humble to receive. Instead of tuning out, looking at your friends, I'm not listening to this. 
What if everything you just heard in this video were completely true? That for some of you, you actually think you're getting away with things, and it's like, you're, I'm living my own life, and no one gets to tell me what to do, and yet what if it's true that sin actually has this hold on you that you can't break away from, and sin will, the, the ultimate end of sin is to destroy you? And what if? All that I ask is maybe think through it. For the next 40-ish minutes, think through it. Be honest. Instead of just... Instead of, instead of just a knee-jerk reaction because it's a topic that you don't like, what if you hear it out? Friends, we always need to go back to what the scriptures say. Because we could start listing all the things that we do that are good, and, and yet the psalmist in Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That means from the very beginning we were born and conceived into sin. You may say, well, I do some good things, and I, I don't doubt that. And yet compared to God, remember, he's the standard, Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. The New Living Translation translates it this way, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. So imagine I take... This thing that I did that I think is righteous and pure motives, the best I, this is the best I can offer to God, but to com, com, compared to God's holiness, it's like filthy rags. He said, well, go, it sounds impossible. But then listen to Jesus. A lot of people go, well, I don't like the, I don't like the Old Testament. I like Jesus. Okay, well, let's go with what he says. There was one day this rich young guy shows up to Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher, what must, I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I used to think, well, he's popping the collar going, okay, I'm pretty amazing. Why? Because in that day, there was this belief. If you were healthy and wealthy, then God blessed you because you were doing everything right. But if you weren't healthy and wealthy, then there must be sin in your life and God is cursing you. That's what they believed. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not truth, but that's what they held to. And so I used to think this guy showed up, and he's just kind of going, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at my life. I've got everything. But it says that he's on his knees. There's something about Jesus where he comes to him before him on his knees and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus says is this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Friends, that's a, big, that's a bold statement, Right? And then he says, you know the commandments, and he starts to list some of the Ten Commandments. Right then, right after Jesus is done with that, then this man says, teacher, I've done all of these things since my youth. And Jesus says, you still lack one thing. I want you to go sell, take, take everything you have, go sell everything you have, give to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Friends, the first time the, the rich young guy says, good teacher, then Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. But did you notice the second time what he left out? The second time he just calls him teacher. And this is my conviction that while, when Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And as Jesus continues to speak, this man has to try to figure out, who do I really think this guy is? Who do I think he is? Because if I call him good teacher, then I'm calling him God. You ever wonder why Jesus said you lack one thing? What do I think the one thing was? I think the one thing that he lacked was that he did not recognize Jesus as being God because the second time he doesn't call him good. 
But Jesus makes the statement, no one is good except God alone. No one. So he said, well, I like Jesus, but I just don't like that part of Jesus. Isn't it amazing what we do with the scriptures? I like the Bible when it talks about love and joy and peace. I don't like the parts that talk about sin and wrath and justice. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, <laughs> think, of this show, think of this verse when you say on Valentine's Day, I want to give someone my heart. Okay, someone's like, here's the Valentine's, here's my heart, here's my heart. Jesus says this, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Here's my heart. You can have my heart. And Jesus just kind of ruined Valentine's Day for everybody. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my heart. And they're like, I don't want that. That's full of junk. Jesus is like, it's from within that we do these actions. It's not the actions that make us unclean. We're unclean. We're sinful. It's not what we do that makes us sinful. We're sinful. And it's from within. It's from our human heart. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And some would say, but Brian, okay, I can accept that, but there's things I haven't done. Like, at least I haven't done, like, really horrible things. And yet James, the half-brother of Jesus, would say this in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Like, say you've just broken one law. You're now a lawbreaker. If you broke 404 of them, you're a lawbreaker. Guys, think about it. In Genesis chapter 3, that's where we're going to turn. If you have your Bibles, two passages for tonight. Genesis chapter 3, John chapter 8. That's what we're going to go with. What was the sin? And we think, well, it's just they just ate a piece of fruit. And, G and God's just anal. Like he just has to get over. It's not that big of a deal. Is that really all that it was? Let's go over again. I know Sarah nailed this on Sunday, and I was so blown away, blown away by what she taught. But here in chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to go through it again. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say? Guys, you want to know why I'm so passionate that we need to be people of the book again? Because when the enemy comes to you and says, Did God actually say? My fear is that the majority of Christians won't be able to say no or yes because we don't know what it says. Last week I was speaking at Hume SoCal campus and somebody says, I just want to, Brian, after this message, I just want to go share my faith. What is, what is that one bit of advice that you would give me to go share my faith? And I said, the one thing that you need to make sure is that what you're sharing is actually true. And so here's my one bit of advice. Be a person whose face is in the book. Like, understand what the faith is. You don't get to make it up. Like, know what it says. And so when the enemy comes, God actually say, I mean, when you look at the pages of this Bible, are you saying that God actually said these things? Brian, think about it. Don't you think Christians need to catch up with the times? Guys, you ever notice how the times just keep changing? Like, which part of time are you wanting people to jump into? I don't know if I mentioned it here or if I mentioned the council meeting. Friends, the 80s are back. And it's terrifying me. I lived through them, and I don't want to do it again. 
like fluorescent colors, and y'all got fanny packs now, goes across the chest. I remember when I looked at that going, they're back? I prayed, God, please never let those come back. I don't need to see it, but they're back? Guys, I'm looking at all these things that are coming back, and I go, why do we want to bring that stuff back? And you sit there and go, oh, but things are just changing. Are they changing, or are they just repeating? Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. And so when we sit there and go, oh, I'm being an individual, are you? Or are you just jumping in with what everybody else is doing, thinking that you're being an individual? Did God actually say? And then look what he says. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Guys, that is so twisted. Like God didn't go, here's a massive garden. Don't eat any of it. And yet we have this idea that's actually what God thinks. He's just so mean and nasty. Because he makes this garden, and he said, hey, the whole thing is yours. He looks at Adam before Eve shows up. He says, hey, Adam, I want you to work the ground and keep it. That word keep means to protect, to guard. He says, I want you to do this. And then he says, but you can't do this by yourself, so I'm going to make a helper fit for you. Because that word fit in the Hebrew is actually better translated as opposite. I'm going to make a helper opposite you. And he creates the woman. Now, for some, you sit there and go, okay, ladies, you, sit, you may sit there and go, so I'm just, I'm just a helper. Guys, do you realize that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as helper. It's the same Hebrew word that he uses for himself as he uses in this passage. So when we jump to these conclusions, helper means I can't. No, absolutely not. And at some point, Adam must have told her, this is what God said. Then the enemy says, you can't touch anything. God said, the garden's yours. Have a blast. Just leave the one alone. Now, for some of you sitting there and go, why do you make the one tree? Why the one? And I would sit there and go, why can't you stay away from the one? Like you got a whole garden. If not just the garden, you got a whole planet to play on. Why the one? The same reason any one of us would have done the same thing. Why? Because when you're told not to do something, you want it. Correct? You ever paid 22 grand to go to Disneyland? <laughs> Isn't that what it costs now, something like that? To go see a talking mouse? And you're walking through and it has these signs that says what? Cast members only. You're like, what? I don't. I don't agree with that. Like, I feel like after spending the kid's college fund, that if I want to, I'm just joking, but if I want to go back and try on the Mickey Mouse outfit, then I should get to do that because you have a whole lot of my money. So when I see this sign, it's like, you can't or do not go. You go, that's what I'm supposed to do. Guys, it's all in us. We don't like being told what to do. True? How many of you ever had this? When someone thinks you're getting a little bit too kind of into something, they look at you and go, you know what? You just need to calm down. Right? When, <laughs> if someone looks at me and goes, you just need to calm down, I'm like, oh, game on, my friend. I'll take, I'll take the pastor cape off. We're going we're gonna to go toe-to-toe. Like, don't tell me to calm down. Don't tell me what to do. And I get all, I get all amped up, which I probably should have taken that advice to calm down. We don't like to be told what to do, right? Guys, we have to give the enemy credit. We may hate him, but he's really good at his job. He's been mastering it for thousands of years. And he looks and says, did God actually say you can't 
eat of any tree in the garden? Just to kind of get the conversation going. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the, in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now here's the thing. Did God say don't eat from this tree? Absolutely. Someone say, why do you make the tree? Isn't it amazing you like the choice unless you make the mistake and then you blame God for the crappy, crappy choice that you made? Isn't it weird we blame him because we made a horrible choice, but we want choices? It blows my mind how quick we are to look at God and say, this is all your fault, but now give me more freedom. So she says, he said we can eat of anything, but we can't eat from this one, and we can't touch it or we're going to die. Now, did God ever say you can't touch it? No. Never once. How many of you would put that rule on there, though? I would have. Just don't even touch it. Just leave it alone. But friends, once a person says, God said don't, or God said do, and it's not true, you sit there going, it's not a big deal if it actually helps. Guys, it's a huge deal. We do not have the right to say, God said this if he never did. We only get to say, God says this when he's made it clear that this is what he says. And how do we know it? Get your faces back in the book. We spend time with him and go, God, what are you saying? What did you tell us? So that I do not misquote you. It goes on, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, here comes the enemy going, oh, Eve, you're not going to die. Catch this. God is holding out on you. I used to think that the temptation was only that you get to be like God. No, what does he hit? He hits this belief that, hey, God, he knows what's going to come from this. God is holding out on you. He's holding back something that's absolutely great and amazing. He's not letting you have it. He's the ultimate killjoy. But if you eat it, you get to be like him, knowing good and evil. And let's be honest, don't we want to be like God? Because then when you're God, nobody can tell you what to do. I get to decide what's right and wrong if you actually believe in absolute truth, which you do. If you've ever been offended by anyone or anything, then you actually believe in absolute truth because you should not have been offended by that which you disagree with because it's just an opinion. goes on. Verse 6, I think. So when the woman saw that the tree was, here's justification number one, good for food. Justification number two, that it was a delight to the eyes. Justification number three, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guys, you ever notice that part where Adam was? I always used to think Adam was like in a hut by himself. Like he wasn't there helping, he's just over here like Gilligan, just playing around in a hut, and Eve's out here getting tempted or deceived by the enemy, and he's standing right there. The one thing God told him to do, I want you to work the ground, I want you to keep, I want you to guard creation, and here's the pinnacle of God's creation. You know what the pinnacle of God's creation is? Woman. And he's just standing there going, <laughs> that's a talking snake. <laughs> That's so weird. 
You're, what are you doing with that fruit? Look at him. I'm like, Adam, why are you not stepping in? And then she gives them to him, and he ate. And then the most awkward realization in the history of the world happens. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Guys, what does that feel like? I have no clue. I have never had this experience. We just kind of walk around butt naked. Guys, two words. No laundry. Right? Adam and Eve, we're all going to have a chat. Because we've had laundry since you screwed everything up. Guys, they have no clue what naked is or clothed. They're just walking around. This is life. And all of a sudden, they take a bite, and they're like, what the? What is this? Oh, we'll just call it naked. Guys, this is a whole new thing. And they sewed fig, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They found some leaves. Hey, I'm going to, we'll make clothing out of leaves, because that's comfortable. Because leaves don't dry out. No chafing there. What do we get from that? You ever notice what you'll do in order to cover the sins so nobody else will know? So you'll cover it with another, you'll cover it with another, you'll cover it, another, cover it with another, thinking that you're actually getting rid of it, but it's actually getting worse. Now watch verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Guys. I think it was in the video. What will sin leave you with? Shame. Shame. Regret. Guys, by a show of hands, I'm not going to ask you to say what it was or what it is. But when I use the word regret, how many can think of that, at least that one thing that's pretty major? If you could take it back, you would. It's that regret, right? Put your hands up way high. Now look around and tell me that sin doesn't have an impact. Guys, this is huge. Guys, think about it. They never experienced this before. They never experienced shame, regret. They're living just this, oh my gosh, and the perfection of God's beauty and his creation, and they're experiencing the grace of God with nothing in between. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is life. This is very good. Guys, have you ever, anybody here struggle with insecurity? besides myself, and even as you raise your hand, like, did I do it right? Is this okay? Is it too high? Are my pits sweaty? Like, what the heck? What, I don't, what do I do? Right? Guys, do you realize almost every time I preach, almost every time, I either text my wife right before, or if she's here, I'll ask her, it's like, I can do this, right? Every time. People's like, hey, do you still get nervous? Every time. I'm still insecure. But praise God, I'm not as insecure as I used to be. And God's been working, and I'm so thankful for that. And I want to encourage you, God will work in you. He just doesn't believe in microwave theology. It's not like the quick fix. I know that we're used to that. You can get anything pretty much that you want at the snap of a finger or an opening of a nap. That's all you have to do. He is so much about the slow and steady. He wants you to learn how to stroll with him. There's no sprint here. Just learn to stroll with him, to walk with him. Guys, they hide themselves. They're terrified of him. 
But the Lord God, this is the beautiful part, verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man. Who initiates to have the conversation? God. God, init- God calls. Guys, I can apply that. The reason that those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, you know why you have it? Because God called you. He initiated it. You weren't on this own spiritual journey looking for Jesus on your own. It's like no one seeks after God, not even one according to Romans 3. It's always God that starts it. He initiates. He invites. And so he calls to them. And he calls to the man and he says this, verse 9, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Uh-oh. Oh, how many of you have ever gotten caught in a lie? Yeah, and that, that feel great? Once you say it, and you're like, I'm clear. And they go, wait a minute. You're like, oh, my gosh. Your heart's just going, go, go, go. You're hoping it's not showing. You're trying to play it cool. Guys, this is, uh, this is the intelligence of your camp speaker. When I was about middle school and up, my brother and I had one job. We always had to clean the whole house. And so we split up the jobs. Every Friday, that was our job. The one thing I had to do was vacuum, and I hated vacuuming. Now it's like there's robots that do it. Oh, I love those things. You push the button, they're all excited. I'm like, they love doing this, and I hate it. I want to bless you. I want to bless you, iRobot. Plink. But back then, in my day, in my day, it's like, so back then, I felt like the vacuum weighed as much as a Volkswagen, so you just had to pull this thing out. And then you just, I, the whole house, I hated it. I love to mow lawns. I don't like the vacuum. And so I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to vacuum, but I'm going to get away with something. So this, serious, this is what I did. I pulled the vacuum out, and I went through the whole house, and I made the tracks. <laughs> but I didn't plug it in because I didn't want to vacuum. So I'm doing the tracks. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I'm getting away with this. I did, thank you, you just said it, so stupid. <laughs> What's your name? Rachel. Rachel, I want to thank you for your honesty. <laughs> I, don't wanna, I want to thank you how you've poured in and uplifted my insecurities. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, because isn't it stupid? I went through the whole house. I made tracks. I then put it back into the closet and went, there it is. Mom comes home and like, oh, the house looks great. I'm like, hey, yeah, it does. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear go, Frank, can you, can you come here for a second? And I'm pretty proud. I'm like, sure. And I come walking over. She goes, you vacuumed, right? I said, yeah, you see the tracks. She goes, what about this big bunch of stuff right here in between the tracks? I'm like, your vacuum sucks. <laughs> and then there's more over there and more over there and more over there. She goes, you didn't vacuum. Did, did, like, did you really vacuum? I pulled it out. And I, yeah. Did you plug it in? Brian, do you see the problem with your logic here? I didn't see it until now. I'm really thankful that you love me nonetheless. <laughs> Guys, when you're caught in, it's like, oh, crud. Right? It's like, oh. God looks at Adam and says, who told you you were naked? <gasps> now watch what happens next. What verse was I in? Oh, there it is. Ten, right? Nine. Ten, thank you. 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was naked. Um, who told you naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, here it is. <laughs> this, is this is the valiant husband. The woman. <laughs> I know, right? Can you imagine Eve just standing there going, that's my man. Woo! <laughs> now watch. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam actually blames two people. He blames first his wife and the second one was God. The woman who you gave to me. God, it's not just her fault. It's your fault. God, it's not my fault. I mean, if I didn't think like this or feel like this or have these opinions or having gone through this stuff, it's not my fault. It's your fault. God, you know what you owe me. And friends, before we jump into this idea of what does God owe us, we need to remember all that we deserve is hell. We deserve separation from God for eternity. That's it. Everything else that God does is by his grace. It's his grace and his mercy. You say, Brian, that's not fair. Guys, fair ended in the garden. You don't want fair. You want grace. God, the woman you gave to be with me, she ate, or she gave me some and I ate. Then the woman said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. The devil made me do it. And then you watch. God doesn't even ask the devil, what did you do? He just curses the devil. Then he curses the woman. And he curses the man. And everything in that moment changed. And friends, we have reaped the benefit, quote unquote, the benefit of this sin. We have reaped the consequences of this sin since they sinned. Guys, all the things that we see going on, wars and rumors of wars and, guys, hatred and racism and all this garbage, you just kind of look and go, where did it all come from? It came from this thing where I want to be like God because I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. It's called rebellion. It's sin against the creator. Sin is not, oops, I made a mistake. Sin is, I will draw a line in the sand, God, and I'm standing against you. Sin is destructive. Sin is hate-filled rebellion against the Creator. And we were sinful from the beginning. Guys, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, what were you like before we come to Christ? Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Guys, it's that phrase, and I don't even know if it's really stood out to me before, but in verse 2, following the course of this world, following the, the natural what? The cultural norms of this world, the belief systems of this world. You're just following, we just used to follow him. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and watch it. And this is such a hard one. Guys, I get it, but hang in there with me. I get this is heavy. 
Oh, but it leads to something that's absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Friends, all that we've deserved is the wrath of God. Brian, that's not fair. Oh, don't go there. See, turn to John chapter 8. If you have your finger there, John chapter 8. Excuse me. John chapter 8. Actually, it's the end of verse chapter 7, verse 53. They, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of the day, brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? First question, how do you catch someone in the act of adultery? Like, what are you doing? And then they say, the law, Moses told us in the law, you're supposed to stone such women, you're supposed to kill them. What do you say? The law was huge. Why? Because the law was from God. Guys, the law actually said you're supposed to take the man and the woman and stone them. Where's the man? And it doesn't say in the passage, I wonder, how do they know the person was, like, how do they, how do they catch in the act of adultery? Had it not been maybe one of them? But we're not going to kill him. We're just going to kill her. Guys, here's the thing. Can you imagine the rage that maybe Jesus was starting to experience as they were taking the pinnacle of his creation and treating her like an object? What if all of a sudden as they catch in the act, all she could do is grab a sheet and just wrap it around herself as much as they can, and then they take her to the temple with all these people that are looking at her? Can you imagine the shame that it's just welling up inside of her? And these men, so-called men, these people are supposed to be guardians or shepherds of God's people, using her like a pawn. Ladies, can I speak into your life real quick? Ladies, my prayer for you is that you would see yourself as God sees you, created in the very image of God. There is so much pressure on you to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to act a certain way, to sound a certain way, smell a certain way. All these images, don't you feel it? All these images push towards you. And you keep looking at them going, man, if I only looked like this. And the problem is that the woman in that picture is going, man, I wish I looked like that. Why? Because there's this thing called Photoshop. Guys, Photoshop's pretty rad. Photoshop could give me a mane like Aslan the lion. It's like, bam, yeah. Ladies, what would, it, what would it be like if all of a sudden you waited patiently and longed to hear the applause of heaven that you would find what your true value is? How would it be different? What if when you looked in the mirror, You saw someone fearfully and wonderfully made. 
What would it feel like to be freed from all the other garbage? And gentlemen, I believe that we're called to make sure that we are showing God's pinnacle of creation respect and honor. That's why I've taught our boys, and I do it. You open the door for the lady. Now, I know that some women are like, I don't need no man to open a door for me. I get that. It's not like we do it because, like, you just can't do it. You don't have the strength to go, uh. <laughs> you know what it is? It's just, an, it's just honor. But for some, you may just get out of, like, you just get so agitated. Maybe the problem's not with them. Maybe the problem's with you. A person just wants to show you honor and to serve you? How is that a bad thing? Gentlemen, we're supposed to show honor and respect for our sisters in Christ, for women there on the planet, and not treat them like this. Verse 6, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Of course. It seems like a tense moment, don't you think? It's like, what do you think? Here she is. We should stone her to death, right? Hmm. Huh. And he just starts to doodle. From there, verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more bent down and wrote on the ground. Okay, so you think at some point the woman's like, I don't like this plan. Because what if this dude thinks he doesn't have any sin? But actually Jesus worded it in a way, said it in a way, that there's no way that these guys could have said, I don't have any sin. And this passage is quoted all the time. We're not supposed to judge each other. Don't judge each other. Don't judge each other. Christians, here's the problem. Do you realize that the Bible actually says as Christians we're supposed to judge each other? Lovingly judge. Keep each other accountable. That's what we're supposed to do. But this isn't that. This isn't loving. This is to tear someone down. So he just starts to write. Anybody ever wonder what he wrote? This is my opinion. It doesn't say in the passage. I'm going to ask when I get there. I want to rent the video. This is what I think he wrote, because watch the response. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why? Why the older ones first? What, he did, what if he did this? What if his sister goes, you don't have any sin? Chuck the first stone. Hey, Frank, writes Frank and his sin. What's up, Gabe? Gabe. Oh, that was a bad one. I'm going to write your sin. And he just goes one by one. Frank's like, thud, walk out. Gabe, thud, go home. One by one, by one, by one. And they all, go, they all go and watch. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So now it's just Jesus and this woman. And I'm guessing there's still a crowd watching. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and grabbed two stones and crushed her skull. Oh, no, just say it. Doesn't say it. it, doesn't say it. <laughs> That's why you need the Bible. Okay, so he didn't do that. Guys, you need to. You, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so much. We sit there and go, oh, Jesus would never do that. Listen, shh, hold on, hold on. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus said, hey, for those of you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Did Jesus have any sin? 
Nope. Did he have the right to do what it is that he told them to do? Absolutely yes, and he chose not to. He would have been completely righteous and just because she, she had sinned. Watch his response, though. Jesus stood up, said to her, now watch it, woman. Why do I think that's so important? Because this woman had been treated like trash. And in that one word, I'm convinced Jesus restored her value. Woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, watch it, neither do I condemn you. And that, a lot of times that's where we stop. See, see, Jesus doesn't condemn the sinner. But then he calls her out. Go and from now on sin no more. In other words, stop it. He's like, I don't condemn you. I could, but I don't. But here's what I need you to do. You need to leave this life of sin. You've got to stop it. Guys, I feel like there's this word that's not used a lot anymore. And it is an ultimate requirement for salvation. It's the, it's the word repent. Do you guys know what the word repent means? It doesn't mean to say I'm sorry. Here's what repent means. If I'm going one direction and I repent, I turn from and I go the other direction. Here's what I think has happened. When people call you to accept Jesus into your life, what can happen? It's like, that's all I just have to accept and pray a prayer. That's it. Nothing changes. I can do that. He's in my life. I can still kind of flirt with both. Here's sin. Here's Jesus. I can kind of play zone. And here comes Jesus going, no, 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 no. You repent from and you go toward. How incredible is Jesus? For some of you, you picture a God who's just full of fury and wrath. And he is. He has wrath. And we're going to look at that tomorrow night. But friends, when I look at this, I see a God who is full of mercy and full of grace, desiring sinners to come to him to repent from sin, sin which will kill you, sin which is rebellion against God, sin which breaks intimacy, keeps you out of fellowship with the creator, turn from that which will kill you and come to the one who gives life. In other words, give up the can of soup and understand the value of the one who calls you. You know why the calling is so valuable? Because the one who calls you is beyond value. But sin is real. It's, destruct it's destructive. It will destroy you. It tastes good in the moment. It feels good in the moment. And right when you do it, it just kind of leaves you hanging and bolts. And you got to deal with the consequences. And then it comes and it slithers its way through trying to destroy you again. And it, sound, and it looks appealing and wonderful. And it just keeps smacking us. And then Jesus shows up. To what? To break us free from it. But there is no way to God outside of Christ. And there is no freedom from sin away from fellowship with God through Jesus. 
It comes through surrendering to him. As the worship team comes back out, friends, I know, like I said in the beginning, I know this is heavy. I get it. But friends, I made a commitment to God a long time ago. I want to teach the whole book. I want to teach the requirements that God, you set up for us and not apologize for you, apologize for it. But I want to be faithful to teach your word. And I've had people say, oh, Brian, but if you just keep bringing up sin, people just feel bad about themselves. Oh, no, 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 no. Once you deal with it, you confront it, then people can turn from it and experience freedom. It just makes the gospel that more impressive. Wait, God did that while I hated him? Tell me a person who's ever loved you like that. Not one. Not one. But sin is the reality. Sin is real. Are you controlled by it? Are you entangled by it? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to make sure you get this. And we'll deal with this again, but I want to make sure that this is, this is clear. Because I feel like a lot of times, Christians are just like, you're a sinner. You're a wretched sinner, wretched sinner, wretched sinner. And yet the Bible tells me that like when I came to Christ, I became a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. My identity is no longer sinner but saint, no longer sinner but child of God. Your identity changes. And so someone just keeps kind of getting up here just trying to throw sin on you. And, but I've been changed. If God has said I've been changed and, his, and he says my identity is now child of God, then I'm not listening to somebody who speaks differently than what God says. Do you see why the scriptures are so important? But for those of you who don't have a relationship with Christ, it's still your sin. You still have it. And it still is entangling you. And to see Ephesians chapter 2 to be an object of God's wrath, how could anything good come out of that? I promise you we're going to talk about that. But let this, let this sit for a little bit. Think through it. Be honest about it. Okay? Does that make sense? Can I pray for us? Let me pray. Father, I pray that I've been faithful to your passage and to this topic. And if God, God if, if in any, any place I have failed you, I am so sorry. And I pray that anything that was not of you, that you would cause us to forget it and to never remember it. But everything that was of you, God, I pray that you would press it. That you would continue to put weight to it. That all of us would think through it. That those without you, Jesus, would feel the weight of it. And God, those of us who have Christ, we've surrendered to Christ as Lord, that we would be reminded of what it is that you did. Holy Spirit, the message has been preached, and I pray it was what you wanted. And now we leave it to you. God, do your work. Please, God, do a work that makes Pentecost look tame. We thank you, God, that you love us and that you loved us even while we hated you. Oh, God, bring freedom through your truth. And as you do your work, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says... Amen. Love you more than you know.